Advent Conspiracy. We're in the midst of a four-part series of lessons during these four Sundays of Advent. Worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. And we're joining with hundreds, I actually found out this last week, thousands of churches across America who are conspiring to take back Christmas from what it has become to what it was meant to be. Doesn't it seem like the secular commercialism of Christmas has gotten totally out of hand in our culture? I mean, this is a time when we should be focusing on and celebrating the salvation that's been provided when God sent His Son into the world. Not a time for craziness and stress over whether or not we should shop online or in a store or what Christmas card we should send to whom or what present we should buy for so-and-so on our gift list and how do they get on our gift list anyway or what a Christmas party or dinner we should go to or not go to. I mean, it seems that Sometimes we lose sight of what Christmas is really all about as we get sucked into this whirlwind of commercialism. So this year we're joining a conspiracy, the Advent conspiracy. We're conspiring to take back Christmas from what it has become to what it was meant to be. Now one key element of this conspiracy is a special offering that we're receiving throughout the Sundays of Advent. You may use one of the Nazarene Compassionate Ministries envelopes there in the pew rack in front of you, or you may simply write Advent on the memo of your check. Either way, your offering can be dropped in the offering bag anytime between now and December the 20th. Now, as I said last week, I, I hope that you understand we are not wanting this offering to be yet another item on your already too long Christmas list. And we're not wanting this to be an added cost to you this Christmas. On the contrary, we seriously want you to think about what you're spending and perhaps buy less gifts or instead of buying something, make something and use those saved resources towards this special offering. I already know of a couple of families in our church who are writing notes to some that are on their gift list to let them know that they're giving to this offering in their honor instead of buying them Christmas gifts. I think that's a great idea. This love offering will be given through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries for the Haiti Water Project to provide clean, safe water for those who do not have clean, safe water to drink. Despite the dry wells in our immediate area, frankly, we are living in a land of plenty, and having a drink of water is not something most of us would think about as being a death-defying event. And yet, in many countries, including Haiti, that's exactly what it is. And when we're able to reach people by providing one of the most basic needs for survival, clean water, we're then able to open doors to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the reason for the season, with them. The Haiti Water Project, it's all about clean water. And did you know that for when it all pans out, just a dollar, you can provide clean water to one person for one year. Now this is where our Advent Conspiracy offering is going to go to, is this water project. Well, take your lesson notes, if you would, from your program, if you haven't already done that. And turn with me in your Bible this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's on page 1848 in the Pew Bible. Now last Sunday we began this Advent Conspiracy series with a lesson entitled Worship Fully. Because worship is the starting point. 
if we're going to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it's meant to be. Understanding that worship is a whole life expression, everything we do say and think 24-7 is an act of worship unto God. We looked at the examples of six individuals or groups associated with the traditional Advent story in the Bible. And we saw how they worshipped. If you didn't get that sermon, uh, you can download it online. You can request a CD for it. But this morning, our second lesson in this Advent Conspiracy series is entitled, Spend Less. Now, that may seem like a pretty odd title for a Christmas sermon, but this principle is a very critical part of making our Advent Conspiracy a reality. Now, in order to get us thinking outside the box, let's pause and ponder. This is one pastor's short version of the history of Christianity. And in a nutshell, it goes like this. Christianity started in Israel as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy, Rome, and became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. And then it moved to America and became an enterprise. What do you think of that? I think it's a pretty accurate portrayal. In the era of mega churches, TV and radio ministries, large arena filled crusades, direct mail fundraising, Christian recording artists, and much more, Christianity has in fact become big business in America. By the way, do you know the fastest growing religion in the U.S. today? It's not Islam, and it's not Christianity. The symbol of rising faith is not the crescent or the cross, it's the dollar sign. This expanding belief system is radical consumerism and it promises transcendence, power, pleasure, and fulfillment as it demands complete devotion. And I'm afraid that many American Christians have attempted to somehow integrate this devotion to consumerism into their Christian faith. Even the commercialism of Christmas claims that giving and getting of material things will somehow elevate us above our present circumstances. Headlines that scream at us are pretty crazy. Here's one I saw just a couple weeks ago. Savers are slowing the economy. Savers are slowing the economy, huh? Now, I may not have a master's degree in economics, but I'm having a hard time understanding that headline. It's almost as if we're being urged to spend every penny that we get, don't save anything, to shop our way out of the recession, even though many of us are struggling financially ourselves. One commentator I read this past week writes this about Christmas shopping. How strange and sad it is that debt and consumerism reach their pinnacle on the morning we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Savior who came to liberate us from these very things. The cry to spend more from advertisements is incessant, isn't it? Three ads caught my eye just this week. One electronic product was advertised in a magazine at the doctor's office with a bright red bow around it with this caption, The Ultimate Christmas Gift. Really? The Ultimate Christmas Gift? Then there was the email I got spammed with that had the headline, Give the gift that will thrill everyone. I have no idea what it is because it was spam and I reported it and deleted it. (laughs) The gift that will thrill everyone, huh? Hmm. And how about the full 
page color ad in the newspaper that had Christmas lights all around it with two views of a shiny new Lexus and the words at the top, Joy to the Wallet. I can't quite figure out how spending $75,000 on a new car is going to bring joy to my wallet, but... (laughs) Here's the deal. The very heart of this temptation to spend more is dissatisfaction and discontentment. In their book, Advent Conspiracy, Can Christmas Still Change the World? The three pastors who first started this Advent Conspiracy back in 2006 write this. We are constantly searching for one thing that will satisfy us. Yet each time we trust the promises of our possessions, more barriers are raised between our true selves and God's plain command to love Him above all things. It's not that we necessarily want more. It's that what we want is something we can't buy. Can't afford it. Here's today's sermon in a sentence. Write it down in your notes. If we want to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it's meant to be, we must learn the secret of spending less, and that is contentment. We must learn the secret of spending less, and that word is contentment. In the midst of our consumer culture, especially at this season of the year, we need to hear the words of Jesus once again in Luke 12 and verse 15. In fact, let's read these out loud together. Read them with me. Guard yourselves and keep free from all covetousness, the lust for wealth, the desire for more. For a person's life does not consist in and is not derived from possessing overflowing abundance or that which is over and above basic needs. Folks, if you're not happy without something, you will not be happy with it. Someone said, if you can't be happy with what you already have, why should God give you anything else? Despite this caution, many of us have still bought into the lie that if we just had a little bit more money, if we just had this or we just had that, then we'd be happy. In the midst of all this mess, we need to take a fresh look at the first advent, the original Christmas story, to see both the simplicity of the Savior's birth and the extravagance of the Father who gave His Son as the ultimate gift of all. Listen to these familiar words. Luke 2, verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now the authors of Advent Conspiracy urge us to take a fresh look at the original Christmas story because, quote, the story has been bought and sold and marketed and commercialized for hundreds of years, yet the story remains deeper and more meaningful than most of us often realize. Why would God do that? The answer can help us go from life-absorbing shopping lists this Christmas to life-altering significance. When Jesus came to us, He came in simplicity to a humble couple who had very little money. So the true meaning of Christmas has never been about stuff. It has always been about Him. End quote. Frankly, some of us are not experiencing contentment simply because we're looking in other places for that which only God can provide. In Isaiah 55 and verse 2, God Himself wonders why we don't come to Him for contentment. Why we insist on pursuing those things that were never designed to satisfy or fulfill. Let's read it out loud together. Read these verses with me. 
I don't understand why you spend your money for things that don't nourish or work so hard for what leaves you empty. Pursue your relationship with me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest, most delectable of things. See, if we're going to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it was meant to do, be, we've got to spend less. We must learn the secret of being content. Which brings us to today's text. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Follow along in your Bible as I read. Pick it up with verse 6. Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now I can identify at least six key principles for learning contentment, spending less, right here in these verses. Number one, I need to realign my priorities. If I'm going to spend less, if I'm going to learn contentment, I need to realign my priorities. Again, verse 6 reminds us, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I like the way God's Word version translates the same verse. If you want to live a truly rich, profitable life, first and foremost, pursue godliness, then combine it with contentment. Reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 6.33. Seek first above anything and everything else. God's work and God's ways. Then all your basic needs will be met as well. And the point is, if we're going to spend less this Christmas, if we're going to make it through the season without succumbing to the avalanche of commercialism screaming at us to buy this or buy that, if we're going to learn to be content, we must realign our priorities. As Paul says here in verse 6, first and foremost, pursue godliness and then combine it with contentment. Now the truth is we should be content with our lot in life, but never content with our godliness. Unfortunately, our tendency is to do just the opposite, isn't it? Many of us are content with where we are spiritually and never content with where we are financially. We're satisfied with our present walk with Christ, but we're dissatisfied with our present circumstances. And what we need is a realignment. We need to get our priorities straight. We need to heed Jesus' call to seek first above anything and everything else, God's work and God's ways. Our relationship with God, our spiritual growth, our pursuit of godliness must be our number one priority. Number two. I need to release my ownership. If I'm going to spend less, if I'm going to learn contentment, then I need to release my ownership. 1 Timothy 6 verse 7 reminds us, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. 
Job put it this way, Job 1, verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. May the name of the Lord be praised. There's one thing I guarantee that you will never see in a funeral procession, and that is a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Doesn't work, does it? Bottom line is this. If we're going to spend less this Christmas, if we're going to make it through the season without succumbing to the avalanche of commercialism screaming at us to buy this or to buy that, if we're going to learn to be content, we must release our ownership. Because the truth is, you see, we own nothing. God owns it all. Everything belongs to Him. He just lets us manage money and steward possessions for a very brief time. Jesus Himself put it this way, Luke 14, verse 33. Let's read this one out loud together too. So then, any of you who does not forsake, renounce, surrender, claim to, give up, say goodbye to, all that he or she has cannot be My disciple. See, the issue at hand is ownership. And the Bible is very clear about this matter of ownership. In fact, God's Word teaches us three principles in this regard. First and foremost, that God is the owner... Secondly, that we are but stewards or managers. And thirdly, that we, the stewards, are accountable to God, the owner. We need to release our ownership. We need to quit thinking and talking in terms of me, mine, and my as if we own anything. We have no possessions. We can lay claim to no resources. Everything we are, everything we have belongs to God. And we need to think and talk more in terms of Him and His. Number three, I need to rejoice in my circumstances. <laughs> if I'm going to spend less, if I'm going to learn contentment, then I need to rejoice in my circumstances. I've already alluded to this, but Paul drives the point home in verse 8 of today's text. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Solomon put it this way, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. If God gives a person food, shelter, and clothing, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. It is a gift from God. Again, Ecclesiastes 6, verse 9 tells us it's better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else. The principle here is this. If we're going to spend less this Christmas, if we're going to make it through this season without succumbing to the avalanche of commercialism screaming at us to buy this or to buy that, if we're going to learn to be content, then we must rejoice in our circumstances. Friends, we need to remember this about life. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying what you already have. Yes. Amen. Our problem is that we bought into when and then thinking. When I get... You fill in the blank. Then I'll be happy. So let me ask you this question. What are you waiting on today to be happy? Don't wait on anything. That's the point. Happiness is your choice right now. Learn to be satisfied and fulfilled with what you do have. Learn to rejoice in your present circumstances. Number four, I need to resist my temptations. If I'm going to spend less, if I'm going to learn contentment, then I need to resist my temptations. 
Look again at Paul's warning to us here in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And Paul's warning applied means this. If we're going to spend less this Christmas, if we're going to make it through this season without succumbing to the avalanche of commercialism screaming at us to buy this or buy that, if we're going to learn to be content, then I must resist, you must resist temptation. Now I say, my temptations, because each of us is tempted in different ways, aren't we? What is tempting to one person may not be tempting to another. My temptations may not necessarily be your temptations, and your temptations may not necessarily be my temptations, but we are all tempted. And believe me, Satan knows exactly where yours and my weak points are. Don't kid yourself. The enemy knows exactly where to attack you and me in regards to covetousness and greed. Let's read 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11 out loud together. Would you read this one with me? In order to keep Satan from getting the upper hand over us, we must know his cunning schemes. We must know his cunning schemes. So let me ask you, are you aware of your weak points? You know exactly how Satan schemes against you to tempt you to spend more? We do have this wonderful promise in James 4 and verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But in order to apply this, in order to resist, I must be aware of my temptations and I must be prepared at all times, fully armored up and on guard so I can resist Satan's schemes against me. Number five, I need to refocus my hope. If I'm going to spend less, if I'm going to learn contentment, then I need to refocus my hope. Again, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, the principle here is this. If we're going to spend less this Christmas, if we're going to make it through the season without succumbing to the avalanche of commercialism, screaming at us to buy this or to buy that, if we're going to learn to be content, then we must refocus our hope. The Apostle John warns us in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. Honestly, everything in this world, as John puts it, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, just pulls us away from God. It squeezes out love for the Father, as John says here. Now, kind of interesting that this Greek word wealth that's used here in our text in verse 17 is actually better translated external possessions. In fact, the sense of this word as it's used here in our text implies the fullness or the abundance of our external possessions. Or to put it another way, Paul is talking here about all of the stuff in our lives. Money, investment, houses, cars, any and all of our assets, property, or belongings. And don't miss Paul's point here. This wealth, these external possessions are so uncertain. Do you notice how he said that? 
hopes. All this stuff is only temporary. Don't put your hope in the temporary, uncertain things of life. Put your hope in the eternal, unchanging, ever-certain God. Let me ask you, do you need to refocus your hope this morning? Number six, I need to redirect my generosity. If I'm going to spend less, if I'm going to learn contentment, then I need to redirect my generosity. And so we come to verses 18 and 19 in today's text. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly Life. Now, I like the way that the Living Bible paraphrases these two verses. Tell them to use their money to do good. To give happily to those in need. Always be ready to share with others what God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasures for themselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity. The point is this, if we're going to spend less this Christmas, if we're going to make it through the season without succumbing to the avalanche of commercialism, screaming at us to buy this or to buy that, if we're going to learn to be content, then we must redirect our generosity. Many of us like to be generous at Christmas time, finding just the right gift for that person on our list. In fact, we'll often spend more than what we should won't we? How about keeping it simple this year? How about spending less in order to give more as we love all? How about joining together in an Advent conspiracy and redirecting our generosity towards something that will not only make an immediate difference in someone's life, but will make an eternal difference as well? Of course, I'm talking here about a generous donation to the Haiti Water Project. And not only getting clean, safe water to someone who desperately needs it, but also getting the good news of Jesus Christ, who is, after all, the reason for the season, to someone who desperately needs it. As Paul says... This is how we store up real treasures in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity. Advent conspiracy. This second Sunday of Advent, we've continued this series with the second of four principles that will help us to take back Christmas from what it's become to what it was meant to be, and that is spend less. And from these verses in 1 Timothy 6, we've gleaned six key principles for learning contentment. If I am going to spend less, then I must realign my priorities, release my ownership, rejoice in my circumstances, resist my temptations, refocus my hope, and redirect my generosity. Read Ephesians 5. Verses 15 to 16 out loud with me as we close. Let's read this together. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Advent conspiracy. This Christmas, let's spend less and let's make the most of every opportunity, this opportunity, to make an eternal difference in the lives of those in need.